And so a lot of our product portfolios has moved away from just making sure that you have a backup to making sure that you can restore within a predictable time frame. So that not only are you going to be able to protect your data, but you can press a button and you can rehydrate that data and put it back into production with the push of a button. Hi, I'm Marianne Bohr with Hims. Now today I'm sitting down with Rick Bryant, healthcare CTO at Veritas. And today we'll be talking about protecting the modern healthcare organization from the edge to the cloud. But before we start, I'd like to say thank you to Kerasoft for sponsoring this podcast. Now, Rick, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Marianne. So can you tell us a little bit about how healthcare has embraced the cloud and why? Yeah, it's been quite amazing. Um, I think it really started accelerating rapidly during the pandemic. As you know, we all had to face the new normal and transitioning to remote work. Well, that especially impacted healthcare, right? Literally overnight, they had to switch to start using telehealth and telemedicine. And with that, a lot of those services came onto the cloud. Similarly, we also suffered a lot of uh, supply chain issues that were hindering our abilities to scale up for search capacities and testing facilities, and they had to move to the cloud to be able to get those capacities in a timely manner. I see. So uh, why is healthcare under attack and how exactly is it happening? Oh, it's been a terrible, terrible travesty. I've been tracking it for so long. Um, I've actually become an expert in ransomware because I was able to correlate in early 2008, 2009, high value information kept within our healthcare system and a relatively low investment of security. That creates a perfect storm that came to a head during the pandemic when we were creating all kinds of new formularies. We were an industry under duress. It was obviously a critical part of being able to support our, our countries. And that's the perfect time for the bad guys to attack. They know that if they attack an organization under duress, they're much more likely to pay. Also, the value of the information they were getting, everything from imagine a hacker being able to exfiltrate the, the formulary for remdesivir and how valuable that would be. So all those kind of came to a head and they really focused their attack on the healthcare industry. Now, why is immutability important? Well, immutability is kind of the best methodology to make sure that your data cannot be tampered. And the reason that it's becoming so critical is that ransomware, not only do they exfiltrate, but they encrypt your data. If the data is immutable, it cannot be encrypted and therefore it's protected. Now, flash forward to all the impacts that we've had over the years where ransomware attacks literally increasing 311% year over year for the past three years that now cybersecurity insurers that underwrite are requiring immutability on your critical patient care apps. Um, leading electronic medical record providers such as Epic are requiring immutability. And it really is the best practice to be able to ensure that you have your data protected and that it is recoverable. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So in that case, can you tell us how the Veritas immutability is different from other options? That's a very good question because it seems like everybody's talking about if that, you know, we've talked about ransomware so much, everybody's exhausted from it. Everybody's got an immutable solution. The thing that differs our solution is that our technologies were built originally with a zero trust architecture, meaning that once the data got into the Veritas data protection, it could not be hacked. We put that out year after year and to the, the white hat hackers, and they've never been able to uh, collect the $50,000 bounty to be able to uh, hack into the system. But when ransomware started becoming so prevalent, we had our development team create an individual immutability timer. 
And what that means, when you hear about these big um, ransomware attacks, a lot of people have immutable copies, but they were able to hack the NTP source, the network time source of the organization, and therefore show those immutable copies as being expired. They just move the time out to years in the future, and they, the system thinks it's expired, so they can then delete them. We keep a separate and protected immutability timer that is isolated and cannot be tampered. So we literally meet the SEC's definition of fidelity for stock trades, for example. So our level of immutability is at the highest level possible and has not and cannot be hacked. Well, that is great to hear. How do you design for resiliency in the cloud? That's a that's a really good question because I'm seeing more and more. We've been lucky to participate in some of the first ever all Epic implementations into the cloud. Um, some of other electronic medical records and critical systems into the cloud, and it is very critical to design and optimize that up front, right? To be able to have failover between different regions. And it's also important to understand your application adjacencies. For example, we found that when you try to move Epic into the cloud, there were 37 other applications that had to be adjacent. So it wasn't just moving Epic as if that's not a big enough job, right? It was moving Epic and Pathology and HL7 and several other critical clinical apps that had to be moved at once. And to be able to do that is hard enough, but then to be able to design that with multi-region or even multi-cloud deployments require software for such as Veritas's InfoScale that allows you to have those applications uh, clustered between different regions and different clouds as well. So um, we'd love to be a part of that um, in advance so that we can anticipate and deliver the performance and the scalability that you need. But it's also important to be part of that discussion in advance because cloud workloads and cloud costs are seemingly spiraling out of control. We found that we're able to reduce the cost of cloud deployments by as much as 60% because we actually deduplicate and, and minimize the amount of storage and uh, compute and I.O. for those copies and for that data protection. So it is a very complicated discussion and it varies based on the public cloud provider that you have, but you can certainly design for resiliency and it's important too. Everybody seems to think that the cloud is always going to be on, but the cloud has hiccups just like everything else um, and you have to design for resiliency. Well, now you talk about resiliency. Can you explain to us what the difference is between uh, data backup and predictable resiliency? Yes, you're asking the best questions. And that's really where we're going as an industry, right? I always tell people as a CIO or a CTO, I don't really care about data protection. It's kind of like paying for insurance. You pay and pay and pay. And if you have an accident, you hope they're going to pay you back, right? But resiliency is something that does resonate with me. And so a lot of our product portfolios has moved away from just making sure that you have a backup to making sure that you can restore within a predictable time frame. And as part of our portfolio, we include orchestration along with that as well. So that not only are you gonna be able to protect your data, but you can press a button and you can rehydrate that data and put it back into production with the push of a button. So I think that's the new way of looking at things, that it's not around just having data protection, it's around having predictable recovery and resiliency. Now, speaking of backups, why is it important to back up your data to the public cloud? A lot of people don't realize, but when you actually look at the service level agreements and the enterprise level agreements within the cloud and the public cloud providers, there's two distinct areas that the, the provider themselves are responsible for. The first is securing it, 
And the second is providing a data protection policy on that. Now, that's especially poignant for healthcare because we're one of the few industries that are required by law under HIPAA. We have to have a backup of all of your PHI, all of your protected healthcare information. And that extends into the cloud as well. But it's also important to be able to recover those services within the cloud. So when you look at data protection and when you look at application and uh, data resiliency, you have to look beyond just the border of your organization and into the public clouds that you use. Now, you mentioned PHI. So why is it so important to identify your PHI? Well, I read somewhere, and this is probably a bit dated, you know, before the pandemic, we got some great information out of HIMSS and Chime and all those groups. Um, so I would say back in 2019, they told us that it costs about $8 per record to properly secure PHI according to the regulations. And it dawned on me, if you don't know where your PHI is at, does that mean that you're spending $8 for every record and therefore very much overspending on your security? Or are you not protecting it appropriate per HIPAA? So understanding where your PHI is puts you in a position to better protect it and more cost-effectively protect it. But also in healthcare, we have, again, more added responsibilities in that in most organizations, let's say you, you can't view this data unless you're a director level. In healthcare, that doesn't count. You may be a doctor, but unless you're my doctor, you have no rights or reason to be able to see my information. So not only do you have to know where your PHI is, you have to know who has the authority and is allowed to be able to view that information. So having visibility of that is the best way to be able to protect and manage that. Now, isn't PHI only in the medical record? People think that, you know, we always talk about the medical record, but as it's defined under HIPAA, the medical record is defined by the individual organization, and it could be a combination of the official EMR record, but it also is often a combination of lab records, um, pathology records, even uh, diagnostic imaging. And the PHI, uh, any type of communication going between caregivers that has patient information and it needs to be protected as well. We've typically seen this in emails, you know, going back and forth. I'd like giving orders to a nurse or to a caregiver for continuity of care. But also increasingly, um, patient care information is being shared via texting you know, secure text messaging and things. So I I think a lot of people realize that there's PHI all throughout their organization. So to be able to identify where that is and properly protect it is, is really important. And it also minimizes not only the chance of a breach, but the extent of the breach as well. If you know where your PHI is and you properly protect that, even if the bad guys get in, they shouldn't be able to get to it. So once you have your PHI all identified and you know where it is, what's the best practice for protecting PHI? There's a series of steps that need to be going into protecting your PHI, right? First is identifying it, then making sure that you have authorized users only. And there's two levels, right? You have to have either a medical necessity or a business associate necessity to be able to access that information for billing and reimbursement purposes. So understanding that ecosystem and being able to create rules that only those folks can have access to, but also understanding how that PHI flows through your organization preventing it from going out either through honest mistakes like someone accidentally emailing information with PHI or from malicious actors, having security processes around each of those 
understanding and identifying when those records are being accessed and by who, and having early intervention to be able to rapidly respond and deal with any anomalous type of activity. Um, there's also good indicators within your organization that shows access patterns. You know, for example, if I typically go into the office and I access, you know, two megabytes worth of data on a regular day, but last night I, I downloaded access two terabytes of data, something's going on, right? So it's a good indicator of bad actors as well. And so most of our healthcare organizations, um, for example, uh, organizations that create um, medical formularies, they want to protect those, and so they have very stringent controls on when anything is accessed within those formularies that it sends an alert to make sure that it's an authorized access. So there's a number of steps that we work with our customers, and at Veritas, we don't have all of the solutions, but we are leaders in data management, but we always... Um, uh, consult with our organization and bring in other groups like perimeter security, um, being able to look for hostile websites and phishing type of activities. So we work as part of the overall community to understand the data flow and to protect that data flow. I see. Well, Rick, thank you so much for joining us today. And thanks for all your insights. And special thanks to Kerasoft for sponsoring this podcast. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Mm-hmm.